We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Gary Lewis. Gary is the head coach at Philadelphia Union Academy, under-17s. He has a UEFA and USSF A license. He's worked in the academies Liverpool, Derby and Everton in England. So it's another player development episode, but this one is a little bit more targeted towards how to manage those players, how to manage big talent. A unique look at how to get the best out of players that may challenge us as coaches. So where do we draw those solutions and how do we implement them both with individuals and teams and the club, the staffs as well. So Gary has an amazing insight into his experience with Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's currently at Liverpool. As always, we look at culture, but Gary defines it completely different to most other people. Uh, He also challenges me on that as well. Uh, We look at where do parents belong in the process of elite player development. And we also look at then session planning and how to work with day-to-day talents and how to connect with them a little bit better. So this is absolutely brilliant. Gary was refreshingly honest about how he speaks about his journey and how he sees the coaching community just in general in regards to player development. So you're going to really, really enjoy this. And I'm excited to hear you know what resonates with coaches. As always, let me know what you think at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Always love to hear from coaches just come back from the Tasco event this weekend in Galveston, Texas. A huge thanks to all the coaches who came up and said hello and also said that they listened to the podcast and which ones they really enjoyed. And, and that means a lot to hear that people are spreading the word and that people are getting a lot from it as well. So as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for spreading the word. Here's Gary. Enjoy. Gary, thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to finally get you on. It's great to be on. Thanks for the opportunity. As always, first question we ask in the podcast is coaching philosophy and and what exactly that is and where that came from. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and tell us. This is going to be long-winded. I apologize in advance. (laughs) So so this is something I've I've really struggled with over the years. So I've been coaching now for over, over 20 years now. And what I'd tend to do is I'd go through all the all the UK qualifications, so UA for B license, UA for A license, and in all of them courses, they'd, they'd sit you down in a certain seminar and they'd give you this piece of paper and they'd say, write down your philosophy. And I used to, I used to just sit there staring at it thinking, I don't know what my philosophy is. I really struggled with it, you know. So I started looking on the internet for what other people's philosophies were. And I just wrote them down. So I started stealing philosophies off the internet. So I'd write this down. It sounds fantastic, you know, playing out from the back, pressing from the front, building through the units. And it was all this, this glossy thing that I had. And it looked fantastic. It read really well. So that was my philosophy as, as far as I was concerned. So then I come to America. Um, I'm a few years into my American adventure, you know, and I, I go on to the, the U.S. soccer A license. 
and he did uh, some leadership uh, courses, uh, leadership seminars. And, and again, they said, uh, you know, what's your coaching philosophy? So I thought, right, here's a good opportunity now. I'm 20 years in. Here's a good opportunity now to really nail down what 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 am I doing? So I I went and spoke to Christina Fink, who's the psychologist at uh, Philadelphia Union, who works closely with us on a, on a daily basis with the coaches and the players. And I said to Christina, I said, I've got this philosophy, you know, and I, I don't believe a word of it. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, I pretty much stole it off the internet. It's just so it sounded good, so if anybody ever asked me, what's your philosophy, I could actually give them something and say, right, you know, there's my philosophy. And she said, okay, then, so who are your role models? What makes you tick? So we started thinking about, so Carlo Ancelotti was one. Um, just how calm he is, how controlled he is, um, the relationships he develops. And the, you, you listen to other people speak, like a Paul Clement, and they speak about, they, they refer to him as family, or the people that have worked and they he treats them as his family. Um, Rodolfo Burrell, who I work closely with at Liverpool, um, different different type of character, but the real simplicity in his work. He made the game sound really simple. Um, I admired how he handled himself. You know, his his authority, is the way he come across his persona. Plus, again, just the the detail and the simplicity of his detail. Um, the environment he created, motivational but instructional. It was always, it was always this is why. And he, he really taught me with him and Pep Segura Liverpool, they taught me the why of coaching. When I was just putting sessions on, I go back to the Everton days and I, I put a practice on there and I'd, I'd set up like a triangle passing drill and it was going from one one uh, central cone to the next one to the next one and then a driven pass to the triangle about 25 yards away. And I'm quite happy with this passing session going on. And Sean London, who was uh, my boss at Everton, he come behind me. He said, "What, what are you doing?" I said, "I oh, was just doing this passing session." And he said, "What are you trying to achieve then?" I said, "Well, we're, we're just—it's like passing, you know. We're going to go there to the." He said, "To go where?" I said, "To go right down there to that central cone." He said, "Well, just pass it there then. If you, if you, if your objective is to go from here to there, why have you got the other two passes in? Just pass it." And it just—even though your session looks good, you don't really know why you're doing it. So then, when Rodolfo and Pep came into Liverpool, they taught us the why. And it was all based around the game. So you'd, you'd put a session on, and it'd be specific to the game. So we started with the end in mind, and that's something that Didier Chamberon um, spoke to me again at, at, with US Soccer, saying, start with the end in mind. What, what does the game look like? And work your way back. So rather than looking at putting a passing session on, how does that equate to the game? And how do you actually explain that to your players? So then, then I thought about who else has inspired me over the years. My art teacher in school. I've got no idea what the lessons were about, but he just had a way, a way with us that we we wanted to be in the lesson. He treated us really well. He was inspiring. He allowed us to explore, um, and just a really relaxed environment. No stress. We were under pressure. I just I loved being in that lesson, and again I don't know why, but I just really enjoyed it. And then the last one was my youth coach. So I didn't want to let him down. I wanted to stay in the team. Um, I had that feeling that I wanted to play for him. He motivated me. And I was desperate to go out and play for him. And the pressure came from the game and not the coach. So they were the things that I looked at. And, and then we, we, we delved into um, performance coaching. So it's more about creating an environment for me now. It's not all about sessions. It's not the X's and O's, as people say. So 
so to really start to look at how I actually work, it was it was not so much a philosophy. It was more about the principles of the way I work. So looking at a group of 18 players sitting in the locker room and knowing that the different messages going into each one of them. So how do I get to know them? How do I build them individual relationships? What makes them tick individually? Understanding how important what I say is to these boys and how powerful it is. They hang on every word. And even something as a joke comment sometimes can really affect the boy and really hurt them. And also it can elevate them too much. Um, really deliberate. So I started thinking about how I say things and why I say things and really deliberate about the message. Um, revisiting information. So not just thinking, well, I've told you that, so that's that's what's going to happen. It's revisiting the information and, and looking at the learning that's going on. Consistent messages from the start of the season to the end of the season. Not scattergun approach, not all over the place with your message. Clear message and a common language so people understand terminology. So really, you know, when I think back to to, to the way I set up my philosophy, it was all it was all field based. Now I'm looking at more as the environment that I'm creating, and then and then a simple simple message like a Pep Guardiola philosophy is: we want the ball more than the opponent. That's his philosophy. It's so simple. And then he has his principles then to back that up. So if we're going to have the ball more than the opponent. How will we do that? And then he starts to construct his sessions and his, and his principles behind his philosophy. So hopefully uh, you ask the question and ten, 10 minutes later I get to the end of it. But that's kind of where I'm at in terms of my philosophy. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. It makes you think because, you know, I was the same whenever, you know, these PowerPoint presentations started coming out that you could get from coaches then... It was all, you know, a little bit of copy-paste coaching. But now, even doing these podcasts, you learn so much about what people's philosophies are by actually talking to them. And that then yeah. kind of makes you think, well, it's in the personality then rather than the, the actual content. Yeah. If, if a player walked away at the end of my tenure or whoever I've worked with over the years, if they actually said they, they enjoyed the experience of working with me because of what they learned and the detail in the sessions, they enjoyed the experience and the way I made them feel. If they walk away with them things, I'd be quite happy with that. At any club? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's not about it's not about imparting all your knowledge. It's, it's trying to treat people with a little bit of respect and, and trying to make sure that they feel important in your session. And it's a, you, know, you, you start looking after the better players then and you neglect the ones who really need your support. So the ones who are playing every week, they're really happy. They've got no issues. They're happy. They're in the team. And you tend to spend a lot of time with them boys. Where the ones who are not really in the team, they're the ones who need your time. But they're the ones that as coaches, if you're not self-aware, or if your philosophy is based on X's and O's, then you don't gravitate. Cause you don't see that, right? No, you don't see that, no. And you, and you think, well, they're okay. They, they understand why they're not in the team. Well, no, they don't. You need to speak to them and explain. You know, it's not, it's not about them liking you, is it? It's just the players, if you, the players think if you don't like them, they've got no chance. So I remember Brendan Rogers saying to us once, he said, I look at the boys and I say, they've got important written on the, on the forehead. And I look at all of them the same, they all have important on the forehead. So that's how I, he said, that's how I run my sessions. I have to spend time with these people and, and speak to them about the home life. And we were, we were down in North Carolina at the weekend and one of the young boys, one of the U14s, I just I sat him down and a few of the other boys were milling around. And I said, come on, tell me your life story. He's 13 years of age, and he's like, what do you mean, my life story? I said, come on, what, what makes you tick? Who, who's in your family? Uh, what school do you go to? What, what's your soccer career been, been so far? 
and it was fascinating, you know, just listening to him and, and he's mm. chatting about where he played and in the travel teams that he played in Norristown and then and then getting his opportunity with Philadelphia Union. It was a brilliant story. Just listening to a thirteen year old boy, you know, he's gone away thinking coach actually wants to listen to me, you know, he's interested in my life, not just me as a soccer player. You had an interest, a unique experience coaching Trent Alexander-Arnold that I heard last week. Can you talk about the initial stages of that experience and, and how you worked towards a solution? Yeah, uh, so Trent had been at Liverpool since he was six and I got him at uh, U14, I got him. So I knew the history of Trent where he was he was a problem. Uh, he'd disrupt your sessions, he he was constantly messing around or wouldn't listen. Uh, I mean, I've got a picture of him where I'm giving a team talk in the dugout. All the players are facing one way, and he's facing the opposite direction. <laughs> so there's, little, there's little things like that that he was that he was all about. So it just it, me getting that that group and having him in that group coincided with me doing the FA Advanced Award uh, at St George's Park, and. The way they structured this course was they they had four elements to it. So they they do a week on each thing. So they'd have a a physical week and a a psychological week, um, and they they also did a social week, and that was the one that I I found most fascinating. So what the way they described it was, they said that um, if I did it in the office this morning, I got a, a white sheet of paper and I drew a little dot in the middle of it, and I said to the coach in the room, "What can you see?" And they also the dot. I said, exactly, and that's what happens with the players who try to disrupt your session. You zone in on that dot when there's actually a bigger picture. There's a there's a full white piece of paper with lots of space in it. It's a big white sheet, but nobody ever mentions that's a massive big white sheet with a little dot in it. They all, they all zone in on the dot, and that's what tends to happen in your sessions, and they become the role model for players So because they're getting my attention. So Trent was getting my attention all the time. Stop doing that. Stop kicking that ball. Stop poking him in the ear. All these little things that are going on. He's getting my attention, and I'm saying Trent all the time. So what what, he, what they were saying was that if the players want your attention and he's getting it, he starts to get some allies then. So people will shift across to him because he's getting the attention, and he'll start to gather some uh, some friends and then it becomes even more difficult for you now because you've got two or three now really messing about and disrupting your session. So he said, start focusing on the learners, start focusing on the listeners, and only give them your air time. Because all these boys want is air time. They want your attention, so, so give, give it to the other ones. So the strategy was that, uh, Trent, you can, you can go and kick the ball around. You can, you can disrupt your little area that you're in. But I'm going to focus on these learners. I'm going to focus on these listeners and the ones who are determined to be professional footballers. They're the ones I'm going to put my focus on. And they use this SLR thing where it was, if it doesn't affect safety, learning, or respect, then let them get on with it. And don't acknowledge anything that they're doing. If it oversteps the mark in any of them three areas, then you need to, you need to deal with it. And with Trent, it was, just, it was just messing around. It was just kid stuff, you know, so it was easy to deal with it. It's just, yeah, Trent, no problem. Off you go. You can do all that stuff you want. And then we had we had a good chat about it, and um, I actually said to him, "So in in the years you've been here, how many coaches have you wound up?" And he said, "All of them." So it became a situation where I said, "Well, I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not spending this ne the next nine months with you, uh, where you're disrupting the session, and I, I I can't work with you." 
But my job is to get you through to May. And, and always remember, this, this boy's a top talent within the club. So we just decided not to speak to each other. Um, I decided not to work with him, not to coach him. It was just a strategy, really, knowing or hoping that he'd come back around. And he was he was extremely stubborn. He lasted five weeks on this, um, just not speaking. And then we decided to change his position, give him a run out at right back, and it didn't completely solve the problem. We still had our ups and downs throughout the year, but he flourished then, and it, 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 he became part, more part of the group than being somebody who was disengaged from the group. We almost misunderstand, because every time you read a story about a, pl- a coach that has a star player, it's a real like feel-good story where... You know, I had about this age, he was brilliant, he did all this, it was great, it was a great experience for me as a coach. But to have a coach talk about a big talent and it being a challenge, did you find that, I mean, where did you draw the solution from and did you find any pressure on having a solution to that there because he was well-known within the club? Yeah, if I, if you'd have said to me right now... Um... Would you put your house on him be becoming a professional footballer and doing what he's done and having the the in that short space of time he's played in all the Champions League games last year he's gone to Russia for the World Cup played in one of the games um, I would never have agreed with you I just didn't see it coming I seen the talent there but I didn't see the correct mentality I seen I seen a boy that um, liked playing soccer enjoyed enjoyed playing when he was out there but was just completely, just really disruptive, and uh, attention span was limited. That's what I seen. So I could never claim to to say that yeah, he was a top talent, and we knew he was going to be a pro. However, Mike, we we recruited Michael Beale. He came in from Chelsea, and he came in on the he was starting on the Monday morning, and he came in on the Sunday, and we were playing Manchester United at Kirby, at Liverpool's academy. And Michael came to watch, and he didn't announce himself. He just came in his his street clothes, if you will. And he came in on the Monday then, and I sort of helped him a little bit, just showed him around the academy. You know, we had the coffee, had the chat, and and he was just he was moving from London, so it was a bit of a transition for him and his family. So you you try to care about these people when they come in and give them your time. And he said, uh, "I seen a boy play for you yesterday." He said, uh, "The right back, uh, number two. He said, "I was really impressed, you know." He said, I bet you 50 pence that boy plays in Liverpool's first team. And it was two two years ago or 18 months ago, I actually sent him a cheque for 50 pence. Because <laughs> he was right. What, <laughs> what, what did he see? He's just seen a, ta- a real talent. And I, I spoke about, you know, just the gracefulness and the way Trent moves and his, his passing qualities and that that real that real injection of energy that he's got, you know, he's he's up and down the right wing, his his quality with the ball, he could score goals. Then he was far and above, and he he stood out because he was rangy, you know, he he sort of settled into his own body a little bit now, but he was um he was he he had a growth spurt, he shot straight straight up, whereas some of them go a little bit dis you know not coordinated so much. He was extremely coordinated, and his legs were just so long that he could, and he was quick. So you could see him, you know, he stood out a little bit because of that gracefulness. He, it was as though he was gliding across the grass. Mm. There was something that just popped out, you know. But again, I, I wouldn't claim to say that I, I knew he was going to be a professional player. There's, I, there's just nowhere I could see it. 
I mean, there's some that you know, you just know straight away. Like Ross Barkley working with Ross at Everton. You just knew, you know, you knew he was going to get through it because his, his physique, his, it was easy for him, the power in him. He'd score goals, he was a box-to-box midfielder, Ross, and, and he would dominate games. He, he was a bit of an easy one, Ross. You know, but with Trent and other players, like a John Flanagan. John Flanagan at Liverpool played right back. and He was always the middle of the group, John. He, he was never in the top three, and he was never in the bottom three. And it's funny that in, a, in academies, you tend to look at them players, don't you? Well, who are, the, who are the ones we need to challenge? Who's at the bottom of the group? We might need to you know, maybe consider you know, developing them further or, or ultimately releasing them. But the middle of the group, they tend to be neglected a little bit. And John just found a way of adapting each year. So John goes from the 14s to the 15s, and he's just in the team. And, and he's one of them boys that you don't think about. You just write his name in. And all of a sudden, he's in the first team. And he's literally adapted to every single year. So his mentality doesn't change from the four, from 14 right the way through to the first team. He just found a way of figuring out every single level. That mentality piece, you, you mentioned a few times there, is such an important skill for a young player to develop. And recently listened to Jermaine Defoe was on Dan Abrams' podcast. Robbie Keane was on Graham Hunter' podcast. Both listened to them within a week of each other and they were both... Both had a similar message in being obsessed. They're using that word over and over again with scoring goals when they were young. Well, how do coaches tell the difference, Gary, between a selfish kid uh, or someone who is and someone who is obsessed that extreme single-minded approach with getting better? I, th- I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference in this in a selfish player who doesn't see anything else but their own performance. You've got to remember that this is this is a team game and will always be a team game. So the selfish players, although you speak about player development and you've got to get the player through, so you look at you look at all the technical qualities that they need to get through and the mental attitude and all this all this stuff, and we need to get one or two through to a first team. And then you actually when you actually say that sentence, we have to get this individual through to the first team. So. It's not as though they they can be selfish all the way through the academy and then go into a first team and can, and continue to be selfish because they're going into another team. So it's not about being selfish. It's it's about being driven and having a a, a sort of um, a team ethic as well. So it's the, it's the choices that they make within that framework. So they they're understanding of the players around them, what's needed, and then when to actually show the magic. So you, you're looking at, so say for instance, the, a way that we we work is we'll do like movement patterns where it's structured, where players will have to move into certain positions to to make sure that we move through the lines. So our central midfielders will open open the passing lanes and and it's really structured, you know, A to B to C to D, and then you'll go A to B to D to C, and it'll just keep changing, but it's all prescriptive stuff. And then what you do at the end then is just give them four or five minutes of say, okay, show me some magic. So although there's structure in there, you've got to allow for the magic, and they've got to decide when the magic happens. So if it's a one-against-four situation with a selfish player, that player will literally try to beat all four players and potentially lose the ball. The ones who are really driven will understand, yeah, maybe I beat the first one, maybe I check out there and I get some support from somewhere else, but I make the next movement. So that's that's an understanding for me. is Yeah, I can I can be selfish and driven and that I want a career out of this. But I've got to understand that this is a team game. It's not all about me. 
and there's there's a couple of boys that I've seen over the years that you, you somebody says a name to you, you think the first thing is Cruyff turn and dribbles and always gives the ball away. They they're the selfish ones who just don't get it, you know. Hope that hope that comes across in the right in the right way that you that you're asking the question. You can't be selfish within a team game. You can be driven, you can be motivated, but you need to have an understanding of what the team needs and where you fit into that group. Yeah, that one v four example is just that's just brilliant, because Jimmy and Defoe and Robbie Keane don't play that kind of game, right? They they make the right decisions no. for the team at all times. And, and it's different when you're a goal scorer, don't you think? Mm. You, you can be obsessed with scoring goals because it's the most fun part of the game, isn't it? It's, mm. it's the best bit. So the one you hit the back of the net, the adulation you get and the, the roar of the fans, that's what you want. So that's the easy part. Um, so, so for instance, Robbie Fowler, he said that he would just go and stand in the spaces in the box. So he'd, he'd pull away. He wouldn't stand right in the middle of the goal. He'd pull away. And he said, if the defender came with me, fantastic. He said, because I'll just run across the face. If they if they don't come with me, I'm in the space. And then he then he said I'd start to look at then our players. So what are our players gonna do? So if you remember Stig Bjornaby played as a left left back, you know, an overlapping left back. He said Stig couldn't hit it very hard. So I knew it was gonna go to the near post. So that's where I went. So that that tells me he's driven. He's he understands. He's He's not selfish. He just wants to score goals, and he's starting to figure out now where he fits into that team. Culture, big word here in the US. Do you think, as coaches, we can mistake culture as people just obeying rules, and should we allow more freedom towards young players who do push the boundaries? What is culture? What What would your definition of culture be? My my definition of culture would be a set of behaviours. That everyone basically either consciously or unconsciously subscribes to and carries out every day. So, so when you're looking at so the culture of of an I, I agree with you. That's why I asked you the question. So, the, as you say, the culture is banded around a lot, and isn't culture is like a feeling to me. So, if I, if I just talk about the academies first, so at, at Liverpool we we had a, a culture and it. It was a feeling, so it's not a PowerPoint presentation. You know when people say to you, you know, come and see our culture, and they put mm. a PowerPoint presentation. That's not really a culture for me. This, um, it's it's the way you make people feel. So, so walking into Liverpool, we we were always trying to sign, you know, big money players and players who, who'd come in and they'd bring their entourage with them and and they'd go off to other clubs, Chelsea and stuff like that, Arsenal, and they'd come back to us and they'd say. We've decided to come here. We just there's something that there's a warmness to this place. There's something where people actually care about you. And I felt the same thing in Philadelphia Union. And then just to, just to back that up in terms of culture. So I bring um, I bring two coaches in from Delaware FC. Now now these two boys could have been they could have been like FIFA representatives. One could have been the general manager of FIFA. You know, no nobody knew. I, they came in and announced. I asked them to come in and watch training. So they come in and everybody speaks to them. We go into we go into our school. The principal takes time and comes and speaks to them, tells her what her role is in the school, how she's actually educating the boys. We go into the ADT room, Bill Knowles, who's one of the best in the world now at rehabilitation and getting players fit. He's actually got Andy Murray in now, one of the best tennis players in the world. He's actually he's actually rehabbing in our facility right now. 
um, and he spends time with them. And the boys, all the boys, all the different age groups, the 11s, the 14s, the 19s, all saying hello to them, shaking their hand, completely unannounced. One of the one of the coaches from Delaware says to me, "This is the most important I've, I've ever felt in any establishment I've been to." So that was a that was a natural culture. Do you agree? That's not something that we've made. You know, that's not something we've made in our organisation. That's just the, uh, as you say, our standards, our beliefs, our behaviours. It's the same for the boys. Yeah, Fergus Connolly. Listen to him. He talked about when he goes and visits school or a, or a team. He knows. He can suss the culture out by how the the receptionist speaks to him or the security guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, um, there was something uh, my boss Tommy sent us this morning. It was about Muhammad Ali, and he was talking about um, you know the way people treated him as Muhammad Ali, and they go to a restaurant, and if they didn't treat the waiter the same as they treated Muhammad Ali, he thought, well, I could be that waiter, and that's the way you're treat. That's the way you would treat me now if these roles were reversed, and he instantly had a dislike for them. So that's just, that's that's a real powerful piece that is for me, you know, in terms of culture and and the, the standards you expect. And we have standards in our academy, you know. We've we, we're going down the road of, um, you know, if you're late for a practice, if you and you don't let the coach know, if you're late for a game, you're not going to play. Um, we've started looking at just cleaning the locker room again, and it may be highly controversial, but all we do is just nominate two boys from this from the 17s, and they just make sure that that locker room is clean every night. Now that's a standard. And if we can get all the things right off the field first, and I trust them to do these things, I can trust them then to go and go and work on the field for me and follow instructions. So, and and the other thing is they don't actually clean the locker room; they're ambassadors for that locker room. So that I say to them, it doesn't mean that you two stay to the end and clean it. You just put the standards on the boys that are in there. And when they drop the wet towel on the floor, say pick it up. Don't just leave it there. Pick it up. So, you know, you go back to the old days where they were cleaning boots and all that. That's not the point. It's having a standard and creating that culture and creating that team ethic. So that when they go onto the field, they're actually fighting for each other. And there's a standard all the way through. You know, these, are the, these are the expectations we want from you and the, to the way you play. When we have the ball, when the opposition have the ball, when the referee makes a decision, when it's a bad challenge, when the other coach is having a go at you, when, when parents from different areas of America having a go at you. These are the standards we expect from you. Mm. So they're the behaviours that you're starting to create and the culture that you start, you're trying to create on the field, off the field. That 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 can get players through. And you talk about talk about developing players um, or developing people. What are you trying to do? And it, a lot of people are talking about this. You know, the, I think every academy will say the same thing. You know, we're not just developing players, we're developing good people. But that's developing, isn't it? You know, the, our boys may come out of this and go to a Division One college, but we've done something in terms of development. They might not be a professional soccer player at the end, at the end of it, but they're going to be... We will have de- developed something in them, whether it's the physicality, whether it's the mental attitude, even just the respect that they show, show to people. That's something we've developed in our culture. we talked a lot. You, you've, you've talked a lot about that attitude and that that hunger, that level for, for those young players to push through at the elite level. Curious to get your thoughts about if if you can coach that hunger or that winning attitude into someone. It goes back to them standards. Um, and isn't it funny that you, you can have, they say that the, the coach um, knocked the confidence out of me. Wouldn't it be great if they said the, co- the coach knocked the confidence into me? 
<laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Be different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, just going on them standards and behaviours, you can actually see a boy change and, and showing how important they are in your sessions, giving them time. And I've been guilty of it. I've even been guilty of it this season. Is is just looking after the best players and and trying to get the trying to get the not their admiration in a way, but I just I want buy-in from the best players. So I want I want trust from the best players. So that so that the message I'm giving as a coach, they're they're relaying and they're supporting me within the locker room. And I'll be honest, I haven't neglected some of the the ones who aren't playing. And I've made a conscious effort over the last few weeks to start speaking to them. Because it, it's it's good if you write things down. You know how many times you actually have you actually spoken to this boy. So write down all the names on your roster and just put a little tick next to it, a little check mark next to how many times did you have you actually interacted with that boy. And I tell you what, you can go over the whole fall season. You can go from August right through to December, and there'll be boys on there that have got nothing next to their name. That's unforgivable, I think. Mm. So. You know, you've got to try and make sure that the the whole group are engaged as much as as much as possible. You know, because you you've got a duty of care, haven't you, to these boys, and and that's your job. You know, you're in an in an elite environment. It's your job. I mean, it's a great reflection exercise for us all. Whenever you look at, you know, we're we're all guilty of sitting back and and not moaning, but just lamenting players' attitudes and wishing someone's attitude was better. But if yeah, if you've probably done that there exercise that you said and then you did an exercise of well i'm going to give one to 22 about productivity there'd probably yeah. be a direct correlation between the two yeah um i mean there's so many different strategies isn't there, just to get them to get them on side with you and, and and work alongside you so even just getting them to present to you so so going away and just doing some video footage of the and it's some some of the things we've done over the last few years at, at philadelphia union is they say to them, go and, go and choose four video clips of yourself, but not give them any detail and see what they come back with. And some go really negative, some go really positive, some go two and two. They'll do two positive, two negative. And we get them to present back to the group. And that's tough. You know, when they're actually standing up there and they're talking about their areas of development and they're standing there in front of their peer group and saying, I'm not very good at this, and I'll show you why. And then you can start to identify then that uh, other players can help players so our our left back, for example, he was uh, he said I always give the ball away. He was a right-footed left back, so he showed his video clips. And our left winger kept coming too short and bringing defenders in with him, so it reduced the space that the left back had to play. So we said, well, why don't you start giving him a little bit more space? You come in short and then spin away and take that defender away with you. Now the margin for error is reduced. So we we start from a leadership point of view, and you know we're we're starting to get them to to have some more leadership skills and present back to the group, and then see if they can actually help each other's individual development plans. Then brilliant idea, that you probably this is the probably most common question you get asked, but compare. I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Comparison between US and UK kids, uh, are there differences in that desire? Uh, do you see it? What's your thoughts on it? There's no difference with with kids. Um, and so if I, I'll go back to the four and a half years I've been here, so that the first the first kind of uh, involvement I had over here, um, the the boys' attitude was college first. So if you said to them what what's your ultimate career path, and they they would say play college soccer. So that was something different I had to get used to, and I I didn't like it, and I was really I was dead against college soccer. 
and I looked at the the three months of of games that they have over four years. You know, so they'll do three months a year. So that's just one year of development over four years. And I'm thinking, that's not enough. You know, when you actually do the math on it, it's not enough. So I was really I was dead against it. Um, and then you start you get and you get involved, and and then you start to see. You start to see the the way the boys train and the way they play, um, and, and it's nothing different to the UK. And people say this to me all the time: "What is the difference?" There's nothing different with with the actual boy themselves. They're still just a young boy, whether they're 12 or 13. There's not a great deal of difference. They, they can't be because they haven't had any life experiences. They're pretty similar. Um, so, the, the, what I'm trying to say to you is, and and, and not not going off off track is trying to make sure that they understand there's a pathway through to the professional game now. So what we've done with the USL coming into play now, the reserve teams, there's a pathway now and we're signing younger players. But then when you look back at the first statement that they made, they want to be college, we'll, we'll probably get 90% of our boys will not be a professional within our club. They're going to go off to college. Now that's something that you don't get in the UK. You're not going to get a scholarship. You're not getting a really good education in terms of university in, in England. So it's 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 fantastic. So the environment we've created now is is that if uh, if they're not going to be a professional for us, I'd say a high percentage, again over ninety percent, are going to Division One colleges. So that's success for us. So if we take say we take a boy out of uh, North North Philly, which is you know, it's an underprivileged area. The boy's got literally got nothing. You know, no no chance of school. They're they're in a school with thirty five other pupils, similar to England. And we bring them into our environment where our YSC school now, I'd say the ratio is probably you know, one teacher to 12 pupils. So it's a really good ratio and, the, and they know them, the teacher knows the name. I mean, I, I spoke to one of the boys, he said that in school the teacher didn't even know who I was, which is really poor, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so for that boy now to go through our system and actually get a, to, to get a four-year full ride, in, and he's going, he's going off to a Old Dominion, He's getting a full full ride. I mean, that is life changing for that boy. That's success for us. Although we're not getting getting that boy into our first team, it's still a huge success for our program. You know, to say that you know what we changed that kid's life. Uh, and there's nothing different in terms of drive or anything. You know, the, um, I, I see the boys all wanting to be professional players within within our, our organisation now because there's a pathway. The same as I did with Liverpool, with Everton, with Derby County. I don't see any difference in terms of mentality. And sometimes they think it's a dream too far. So, you know, oh, that'll never be me. So then I, re- I relate back to the, the 17s group and I, and I speak about Trent. So Trent plays in the Champions League final last year, 19 years of age, up against Cristiano Ronaldo. He's two years older than you guys. It's, you, you can get there if you're willing to sacrifice. The other thing is is the, is the other sports. So people say that, yeah, but it's different in America because they're exposed to other sports, so the baseball, the basketball. They're exposed to that in the football. Not in, not in the uh, MLS Academy environment, they're not. So it's changing. It's not, it's not becoming a European model. It's becoming a specific model. So we've got a specific soccer model now at Philadelphia Union. So I'll take the U17s for eight coaching sessions per week. So I've got eight 90-minute sessions in a week with the U17s. That is more than I was doing at Liverpool. I did five nights at Liverpool, two afternoons. So we're, we're one more session than Liverpool Football Club at Philadelphia Union. 
So you're telling me we're not going to get players through in terms of development? Of course we are. Uh, it's a lazy excuse sometimes. It's just a, it's an incorrect. It's just incorrect. You know you, and there's nothing different over in Europe. People, even the boys, sometimes I oh, want to play in Europe. Well, that could be just a financial decision. Yeah, there's more money over there right now because there's not loads of money in the MLS right now. But there's some there's some fantastic uh, salaries that they're getting. You know, there's some there's some really good starter packages now for boys. You know, going into the USL or going into our first having a first team contract. It's a really good start for a young boy, but it's you know we've just signed a U15. Um, Selmy and Mischich has just signed for us uh, on a contract. He's 15 years of age, and we can pay him. Now in England, they can't pay you until you're 18, so we've got we've got that advantage immediately. We can actually pay the boy, so that that's something that that Europe can't offer. Um, and then you're looking at all, and with the money in in the UK, with that money. It starts to limit your limit your opportunities then. So they'll just go out and buy a player. I know this is quite obvious, but they'll go out and buy a player now rather than look at a, a 19-year-old getting into the first team. Germany is a little bit different. They're starting to push players in now, really young boys like a Jaden Sancho going into Dortmund, and obviously Pulisic's path has been been fascinating to watch. Um, but there's a real there's a real chance in this country now for our young players to get in. Now are they good enough? They're not going to be good enough, in my opinion, if they're all over the place. If they're all, if they're basketball one night, if they're baseball, and people say multi, they need multi sports, but I don't hear this in other sports. I don't hear, I don't hear the golfers saying, you know, you know, what made me a great golfer was I played basketball, I played volleyball. No, I just played golf all the time, and I got really good at it. Mm. That's what I see. So we're we're producing soccer players now. So we've got our school, which is on site. We have about 85 boys in in our school, which is right on our site. Our training facility is just over the parking lot. Um, and we get access to these boys all the time. And what I mean by access is, we, um, we've we got them at 8.30 session in the morning. So I do 8.30 to 10 o'clock session in the morning. And the, the school are saying that they're really activated when they go into school. They get more out of them from an education point of view because we've given them a 90-minute session in the morning. So the productiv- the productivity goes up in school. We then get them back at 3.30 till 5 and they're done. You know, I know clubs over here that are out till 10 o'clock at night, still training. Not with us. And on Friday morning, we're done. You know, we're done 8.30 to 10 on a Friday morning, we're done. That gives them their afternoon back. They play on a Saturday, Sunday off, and we're back in for our regions on a Monday. So we've got a real soccer-specific program that will, I've got no doubt in my mind, will produce U.S. soccer players that will not only grace the MLS, but also the national team. U.S. coaches, I get a lot of, of, of people that ask the questions about, you know, their their best players aren't challenged enough and then become a little bit difficult. The game's too easy for them. And th- those players know the reality that they're the best player. Uh, what what advice would you have for coaches that can help challenge that player without pushing them too much and causing resentment? There's, there's so many different examples there isn't one clear answer for this because you've got so many different individual people and it goes back to what i said about my philosophy you know what what is it about that individual that makes them tick and trying to find that key to unlock each one of them because they've all got a different lock all these boys so so let's just look at a locker room for instance 18 of them they're all different so when you start saying that um not you by the way i'm saying other people say how do you challenge your top players well they're all different so I won't mention the name of this boy, but Liverpool signed a 14-year-old player 
uh, from a lower league club for two million pounds by fourteen years of age and he comes into Liverpool and he goes into my group and the boy doesn't defend at all. So I say to him, What's what's the deal here? What are you doing? Are you you know, when when they get the ball we go and get it back. Oh no, I don't do that. I said, What do you mean you don't do that? Well the club I was at, they didn't want me to do that. They wanted they they got the players around me to go and get the ball and then they give it to me because I was the best player. So there was a challenge immediately then. So we have to challenge that top talent now to teach him how to defend at 14 years of age. So there's one example. The easiest answer to, to give you is just play them up, right? Just play them up and challenge them. But that's it's great in some ways, and we've seen a real benefit in that with our Bethlehem Steel USL team, moving our boys into that and really challenging them in that adult environment. That's been amazing for our boys' development. Um, but some clubs don't have that, that luxury. You know, what if you've only got one team? You've got one team and you've got one top talent in it. So you look at these, you know, the travel clubs where each coach has got his group and they stay with that group for the year, for, you know, for a few years. And that's that's the way it is in the, in, with the travel teams. You know, they they like the coach and they go all the way through with them. So what do you do if you've got a top talent? So another example is um, one of our U19s. Unbelievable range of pass. He can he can he not only hit at 60 yards, 50 yards, 60 yards. You know just joking he'll ask you which toe you wanted to go on you know he's that accurate he's he's fantastic with his range and he's saying i, I want to learn how to combine more so i want to be a box-to-box midfielder and i want to know how, i want to know how to combine more so that i can get into a, a good position to score goals so we, so not only are we now he's challenging himself we have to do that as coaches now what does that player need so are they a top dribbler yes let's make that better Right, so don't just look at don't just look at the problems. Don't just look at what he what he not very good at. So like a, you know, the easy one is Lionel Messi, fantastic on his left side, right? He needs to be better on his right side. Why does he? Why why can't he just be unbelievable on his left foot? You don't very often see him use his right, do you? Let's be honest. But he's become the best player in the world, being one-footed. The, the point I'm trying to make is that you got you have to challenge that player. So whether you're challenging by by increasing what he's really good at and making that really, really good. So making that world class. Some of the things that you might think really challenging, what what does he need inside inside that team structure? And when all them things become really easy, then put put in, put him into an uncomfortable environment then. So maybe you move him into a, a, an older team. But it's really looking at the individual first. So I so I spoke earlier about the U fourteens going to North Carolina. We had a, a real top talent playing in our group. Really, really thin boy. You know, he's um, he's hard to pick out. You tend to look at all the big athletic ones. You know, the the, the tall athletic ones, the power pass people and score goals. They're the ones that jump out, and that's easy. That's easy from a from a scouting and a recruitment point of view. That's that's quite easy. It's the ones who are in there that are making a real impact on the game. And what these players need, I think, if they're the top talent, is they need detail. So don't just tell them that they're good. Tell them why they're good. Because they need that. They know they're good. So I sit, I sit to this boy down and says, how do you think you've done the last two games? He says, yeah, I've played really well. So I said, um, these are the things that I've noticed then. I said, I've noticed that you've got a fantastic awareness of space. I said, you understand the pockets of space to get into. Sometimes you stand still and the space appears. Um, and then your appreciation of the players around you is, is what has impressed me the most. I said, your choice of pass, your weight of pass, 
you're not just passing to a blue shirt, you pass to where that player needs it. And that's been really, really fantastic for me to look at in terms of your appreciation of this game of soccer. And his face lit up, you know. Mm-hmm. I said, so uh, so you're 13? He said, yeah. I said, so you're a professional now then? And he said, yeah, probably. I said, no, you're not. You've got a long way to go. Keep your feet on the ground. So they, they need detail. They need help. They need support, you know. But don't just tell them. And then you get the parents on, on top of this. So at academies, we can create these issues by by building these boys up too quickly. So when we're telling them they're, they're the next Stephen Gerrard, and I've heard that said before, by the way, you're the next whatever. That creates a massive problem immediately. You're giving this, you're giving this authority to the kid and an unnecessary pressure. The parent then, you start calling the parents up, and I've seen senior management calling parents up saying, oh, your, your son's fantastic, you know, um, with really high hopes for him. Um, then they start getting all you know, agitated and, and think, wow, this is this is fantastic. This. Then you start taking them to games and you're whining and dining them. I've seen it all. Honestly, I've seen everything go on. And so academies have created these issues. Not, and it's not been always the other way around. Some parents decide to go that direction themselves. Sometimes they've been created by the academies. And it's it's such a, a difficult way to treat your top talents. They're the ones who need less. They're the ones who are okay. They're the ones who are low maintenance for me. The ones who are top, top talents, they should be low maintenance because they've got so many good qualities. You're just tweaking. If the ones underneath that, the middle of the group, like a John Flanagan I spoke about before, they're the ones that need your real help from a coaching point of view. Isn't it easy to coach the top talents because they just do everything you want? How good are you to coach in the middle of the group? That's that's really important to me. Um, and the other one is, the ones that I've seen get through, and it's just from my experiences, are the ones who've had low or no involvement from the parents. And they're the ones, so say like, to, if I go back through a few of them, so to Raheem Sterling, Ross Barkley, um, Jordan Roster, Harry Wilson now, Ryan Kent, there's... Keep going. The players that I've seen actually get through this trend, the ones who've got through all this, the parents have just let us get on with it. So what? So this morning, no one was coming on this podcast. I work with Cleberson. Cleberson's in our office this morning with Fred. So Cleberson was in the starting 11 in the Brazil national team in the 2002 World Cup final and has now got a World Cup winner's medal around his neck. He was signed by Manchester United on the same day as Ronaldo. Um, and Fred, Fred's played for DC United, he's played at Philadelphia Union, he played pro in, in uh, Australia. So I asked them two the same question this morning. I said, come on, what, what, was, your, what was your life like as a youth player? What, what was your parents' involvement? Nothing. I said, what do you mean, nothing? They said, they just let us get on with it. Never came to training, um, just supported us. Fred even said, do you know what? I was on the verge of getting released three times and my dad never knew. And Cleberson just said, the only thing that my dad would do for me, he said he'd take me on the field some days and just, just let me practice some week for finishing. That was the only real involvement. Other than that, they just let us get on with it and they trusted the coaches. And that's been consistent. Over the years I've been doing this, that's been really consistent. The ones that the, or the issues that the academy have created with some parents and then other parents believing in all this hype about, oh, my son's playing for Manchester City, he's going to be this, that and the other. They also create an issue, and it puts a real added pressure on the boy. And then the other 
clever for someone saying he, he, he listened to uh, parents uh, or he, they were saying to him oh you should be in the team when he was in Brazil you know, as a young boy oh you should be in the team you, you, you're, you're fantastic I can't believe you're sitting on the bench um, we really believe in you you're going to be a professional player go and tell the coach so he goes and tells the coach you know so it's all this outside interference that's really affected these boys whereas the ones who've made it have just literally got on with it so top talents Leave them alone. Let them figure it out. Tweak some things when you need to. Let them come to you. Like like the boy I was telling you about at Philadelphia Union where he's, he's brilliant at these long-range passes. He wants to get better at combination play. He's, he's taking ownership now of his own learning. Some need pushing. Some don't need pushing. Some, need, some know exactly where they're at. And that's where they go back to. You can't say this is the way for top talents. You can't say this is the way. Because there is no way. They're all different. I mean, the first question you asked me was my philosophy. How I can, I'll have to compromise my philosophy at times. So if I say we play out from the back all the time, against one striker, yeah, it's easy. Against two strikers, yeah, pretty easy. Now against the full New York Red Bull press, all the best with that. <laughs> yeah, then you're an idiot if you do it. You're an idiot, absolute idiot. Because they want you to play out from the back and they're going to jump all over you. Yeah. So... So, so, but I say, but my philosophy is I always play out from the back. So now I've compromised my philosophy now. So my philosophy is based around the environment to create, and I provide, I'll help with solutions. So up against one, one striker, this is what we do. Up against two, this is what I want. Up against the full press, this is what I want. This is what we're going to do. How do we break lines? How do we switch play? What about pressing? What about this rest defending, possession defending, marking when we've got the ball? All the stuff that's coming into the game now, which I agree with, it's great to see the game evolve. But you've got to keep you've got to keep challenging yourself and keep educating yourself all the time because it's changing so much. And the ones who the, the coaches I listen to say, yeah, this is this is the way, or or I had this blank canvas, and all the ones that know the answers, they're geniuses for me because I I don't know the answers because it's impossible because they're so different. You know, what about the 14-year-old boy who's, who's physically a 19 but mentally a, a 12? And then the same age group boy is, is physically a 12 but mentally he's a 19. How do you coach them to? One who knows the game inside out but can't get, his, can't get his legs to go around the field. And the other one hasn't got a clue what he's doing but scores three goals a game because he's just bigger and faster than everybody else. Which one do you neglect and which one do you coach? Hmm. You don't neglect either of them, and you, and you make sure you coach both of them, because the one who's scoring the three goals probably isn't technically gifted. He's just bigger and faster than everybody else. The other one who's a little bit small but sees all the answers and knows will probably have a better education in terms of fighting fires. He's got to understand how, do he, how does he survive in this big big boys game? Where do I find these little pockets of space? How do I get an advantage where I can get two or three touches? where I can really make an impact in the game, whereas the one who's six foot doesn't care about that, because they'll just bounce people off me, I don't care, I don't need to find space. It's different. So not one not one shoe fits all. Going back to that parent aspect, so how does a, a club, I suppose, navigate around that that's not an academy status? Or do you have a rule that says no parents? Or, or how do you develop that skill in kind of separating them from the parents? Because you know the parents are in the US and, and in the UK to extent as well these days are going to attach themselves. So I'll I'll speak from a I'll speak from an elite environment because that's what I'm used to. 
but I hope that hopefully it, it kind of just runs in line a little bit. So this is just this is my opinion, right? And this is something I did a few years ago. So we we tend to treat the parents like like taxi drivers. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't have an opinion about this, and um, it's nothing to do with you. I'm the coach. You don't you don't be shouting or coaching from the sidelines. That goes on all over the world, by the way, doesn't it? That's the way you. That's the way most of the parent meetings I've been to is is all them things. So what I decided to do was I was I was head of the youth development phase for a few years. So I decided to uh, to bring the parents in and and educate them and treat them with with the respect that they deserve. I've got their pride and joy in my hands. I've got I probably see that boy more than they do. You know, if I'm doing eight ninety minute sessions a week and they've got school, I'm probably more in their life than the parents in their life. So so what I decided to do was 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 treat the parents um, as elite parents. So I said I want you to come in. I'm going to try and teach how to be elite parents. Oh, they loved it. So rather than saying you're not going to coach from the sidelines, you're so much wear shin guards every every week. Um, don't you be coming in and, and questioning me on a Sunday about my tactics or my choice as a player or or how many minutes your son has played? That's a really negative approach and it gets people's back up. So what I decided to do was right. I'm going to bring bring the parents in and I, I called it um, how to create elite parents. And I said, right, this is what I'm doing for your son right now. I know you, I know a lot of you can't get to all the sessions. This is the system we play. This is why we play it. This is this is um, what I'm trying to do for your son. I'm going to upset most of you. Um, I'll upset most of you because I won't start your son. I'll take your son off when he's playing really well, and you'll be to completely confused. You won't know why I've done it. I'll leave a player on that's not doing so well, and again, you'll be c completely frustrated. So at some stage during the season, I'm going to upset you all. These are the reasons why I do that. So in terms of long-term player development, it's not about the here and now. It's about a strategy to get your son into our first team. So please bear with me and understand this is long-term development. As part of that elite parent thing, we decided that um, they, they, they had... They had something they've never been trained on, so they don't know how to. They don't know how to treat an elite sports person. They've never had any experience of it, or some have, some haven't. Even as far as nutrition, they don't know what to give them to eat. They, they also don't even know how to cook that food. So we we started to do some cooking lessons, and we taught them how to how to um, cook certain dishes that will make sure that the energy is at its maximum on a match day. And the reasons why, and the things to avoid as well, and it was well, really well received, you know. So rather than just saying you mustn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you don't do this. No, this is what we're doing for your son. This is the support we need, and at the end of it, you'll become an elite parent with your elite player. Every coach should be listening to that, going, "There's an idea that would work." Rather it's than a, it's a different way, isn't it? It's just a different way and a different way of speaking to people, you know. Rather than just being all negative all the time, because you know what it's like. Um, I think trying to find the right word. It's like you know, misery. Misery looks for a friend. So <laughs> you know, it's a and you know, negativity spreads like a cold, doesn't it? Oh, especially it's, today. It's negative and people love people. Some people love it, you know, don't they? Some people enjoy negativity and misery. You know, it be, listen. As a coach, you want to win, don't you? The boys step over the white line. They want to win. I coach them all week to score a goal. I coach them all week to stop the opposition scoring a goal. If we get them right, we ultimately win the game and. And you have a little satisfaction from that, but the biggest satisfaction we get is is going back through. So so seeing Ross now, Ross Barkley scoring a fabulous goal for Chelsea, 
Trent Alexander-Arnold playing the Champions League final. Um, Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie playing centre back for Philadelphia Union at 19 years of age. The, that's success. It's not the the one zero or the two one win tomorrow. That's you can't claim that to be success if you're in a player development uh, environment. Brilliant. What a way to finish it, Gary. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Gary there for his time and his insight. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I told you it was going to be a little bit different, a bit of a different perspective. I really, really enjoyed it. I could listen to Gary just chat all day. And the main takeaways for me are were two, two, main, two main things. Firstly, the blend of honesty and authenticity and vulnerability uh, in the way he talks about his journey in coaching. And a few times that jumped out at me. First of all, the philosophy piece about just basically admitting that He's done what so many of us have done, including myself initially, taking a philosophy online and deleting Van Hal and writing your name on it before gaining an understanding of how to use it. Then the strategy of not speaking to a player in order to try and find a solution. Not a lot of people admit to that. Many have done it. And engaging success from an experience, not just from wins and, and losses. So his quote there, if a player walked away and said they enjoy the experience of working with me and the way I made them feel, I'd be happy with that. And I find that so refreshing today where we're all trying to get the wins and we're all trying to get the next opportunity and we're all trying to develop the next superstar that someone with Gary's standing in the game can just say you know what it's success for someone to enjoy working with you and to treat them with the right level of respect and to engage with them every day and and the other piece that I really enjoyed from that there was how Gary challenges us whether we contribute to the problem of celebrating talent and saying this is going to be the next Stevie Gerrard as he referred to and I find so many do that a player becomes challenging at a certain age group and maybe it's not the player's personality maybe there's just been expectations or a title put on that player at an early age and maybe that causes the player to act in a certain way and maybe we should be a little bit more aware of that as a coach and maybe we should take responsibility to inform parents about you know how we are addressing our players or how we want to talk to our players so I think those are great messages to promote for for the coaching community and for a generation that are coming up that seem to be young coaches that seem to be gung-ho about getting from A to B so quickly. Um, and that brings a certain level of pressure that coaches are putting on themselves. And then you don't want to get setbacks and you're defensive and maybe you haven't spent the time getting that philosophy through and, and developing your own philosophy because you don't basically have to. There's no pressure or time limit on developing a philosophy. But it's so, so important that as you get a little bit more experienced as a coach and you stay in the game a few more years that you just draw enjoyment levels from the players and from yourself and maybe you start to look at it in a little bit of a, a deeper way and it, it's definitely clear that Gary's done that so I hope that this message has hit home with a few people and I hope a few people have enjoyed it and hopefully are going to take a few notes about that and approach the week or approach the season or maybe reflect in the off season about about taking a few of these lessons from Gary and, and using it with their own teams and using it with their own style of coaching. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you thought about that there, what resonated with you, what you enjoyed, what you agreed, what maybe what you disagreed. 
all that good stuff as always at Gary Kernan on Twitter at Gary Kernan on Instagram love it when coaches reach out spread the word of the podcast it is always appreciated thanks for listening have a great week thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach Kernan on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com 